are now listening to Shy Sox Weekly, hosted by Tony Marchese and John Suarez. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into Shy Sox Weekly, episode 34. I am John Suarez, joined with my co-hosts, Tony Marchese and Johnny Nani. How are we doing today, guys? What's up? It's finally baseball season. Yeah, it's good to have baseball back. Um, kind of glad that the Sox are off today. So, yeah, yeah. They, could, they couldn't lose. <laughs> you yeah, can't lose if lose. you don't play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, much needed off day. The White Sox did start the season. They are currently sitting at one and three. Not the prettiest record. Um, could easily be two and two. So we're going to talk about that today. About the White Sox four games that they played, pretty much in depth. Um, we are going to talk about opening day. We have a bit of uh, news out of Shy Sox Weekly Headquarters, out of the gate, actually. So, yeah, we got a couple things that we want to talk to. But how have you guys been since we last talked? Not too bad. Um, I know, like you said, we'll get into the games and everything. But, I mean, it's just good to have baseball back. Uh, I'm excited for baseball just in general um outside of the white Sox, you know you get fantasy baseball back you get to watch the other teams play uh, mlb.tv's going watching you know manny machado and fernando tatis you know just tear it up down in san diego that's been real fun um all i did yesterday yeah no it's it's good to have baseball back except for you know these random off days like we said it's good to have an off day today but it's kind of a tease you know you get all amped up for baseball all winter and then you run into like three off days in the first eight days of the season that's not really a good way to start the year in my opinion but nonetheless happy to have baseball back johnny how about you yeah i mean you have we're playing three opening days we played kansas cities we played cleveland's then we're going to play our own so you're going to have a day off after all those that's just the way that the schedule works so they have a rain out day um which could very well hit for the white Sox this upcoming week um, so that's a little, you know, uh, like you said, Tony, kind of blue balls, I guess. Uh, that'd be the best way I could describe it. But I've had my, I've had my MLB TV fired up. Um, I've been, you know, I feel like I've already gotten my money's worth for the season with how many games I've watched in this first week. So, uh, yeah, I second that. I am very happy to have baseball back. Yeah, I am with you guys. I was actually talking to uh, my girlfriend the other day about how it's weird. I don't know the last time the Sox have played in three different opening days. I couldn't tell you, but I think that's the cool thing and unique thing about baseball is that they get to experience that three different times and that Ryan Cordell is already second in the White Sox in home runs. So happy opening week, guys. Happy opening week. Weird baseball. We've gotten a lot lot of weird baseball. I love it, though. Yeah. But like you said, Johnny, the weather might play a little bit of a role in the Sox opening day. And I think that leads us into our first announcement that we have. Um, We want to get this taken care of early on in the episode. And that is the fact that uh, Thursday's weather looks like dog shit. Um, There's going to be rain. There's going to be wind. um, There's the potential for the game to get rained out. We've also had some scheduling complications as far as members of Shy Sox Weekly being able to make it to the ballpark for opening day for various reasons. We wanted to have almost the full crew out there, and it looks like that's not going to happen at this point in time. So what we're going to do is we're going to move the tailgate that we originally scheduled for Thursday over to Saturday because we've got pretty much a full crew. I know all three of us are going to be there on Saturday, um, 
and then a few other guys from from the team. So we're gonna move the official tailgate over to third or over to Saturday from Thursday. Uh, still planning on lot B. Look for the Shy Sox weekly flag that uh, that John is proudly flying behind himself right now. And oh, yeah. um, we'll have bags there. We should have bags. We should have some snacks. We should have a bunch of other stuff. Um, I might debut the, the the grill that I picked up, the tailgate grill. Uh, so we'll see if that, that makes an appearance there. Uh, bring your own beer. Uh, same everything applies to what we had put out for the opening day tailgate. As far as opening day goes, uh, Johnny will probably be arriving first to the park um, on opening day. He likes to get there bright and early. I should be there shortly behind him. Um, we're still going to be there. We're still going to be drinking beers in the parking lot at some point in time. Um, maybe from the back of a car instead of maybe out and about in the parking lot. But uh, we'll still be there, so still stop by. Tweet at us if you're there on opening day and try and find us. Uh, but we will not be doing the official tailgate with all the festivities that we had originally planned. Uh, we're not going to be like the White Sox and uh, decide to throw something half-assed and then have you come back on Friday and do it all over again. We just felt like this was uh, the appropriate action to take uh, due to some scheduling issues and the weather that's going to be coming on Thursday. Um, it's better. It's going to be better on Saturday than it would on Thursday. So, uh, guys, anything else uh, on that subject? Yeah, if you're coming out Thursday, uh, I should have a tent, so we won't be completely soaked if you are still braving the weather and coming out. So um, if you find us, we will have a tent. We will have shelter. Um, it'll, you know, it, it won't it won't be uh, miserable completely out there. Uh, we'll still have a good time no matter what. So like Tony said, official one Saturday. But if you are out there Thursday, uh, you guys can just send us a message or tweet at us, and uh, we'll still be able to find you. So yeah. Yep. All right, guys, let's talk about some White Sox baseball, some real White Sox baseball. I know we're all sick and tired of talking about spring training and all this other stuff. The official season has started. Um, let's start it off with opening day last Thursday on the 28th, a 5-3 loss to Kansas City. Not what you wanted to start the year with, but uh, we did see a pretty decent start there from Rodon. He went five and a third, three hits, three runs given up. Two of them were earned. Only walked one and struck out six. Uh what did you guys like out of Rodon's start? I love that uh, early on in the game, I want to say it was either the second or the third inning, Rodon got in quite a bit of a little jam. And as Johnny made a gif of it and put it on Twitter, but as Rodon got himself out of the jam, he was walking off the mound. And I don't know if he was barking at whoever. He, I think it was a strikeout. So I, he could have very presumably been barking. At it, was a line out. it was a line out. So oh, I think it was, was a line out. He went like, you know, he, was, he pointed across oh, his body. So it was yeah. like he lined out right to Moncada. So I think he was chirping at whoever hit it. Yeah, so that was fucking awesome to see. Um, but other than that, yeah, his uh, slider didn't look as sharp as it normally does, but it is early on in the year, and it's cold as fuck out, so I'm not going to hold that against him. But other than that, like you said, his stat line looked decent. I'm pretty sure um, – or no, yeah – well, you said two earned and then three runs. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure one of the runs he gave up wasn't earned. So, yeah, I don't know. The defense looked abysmal that day, and it has looked abysmal all season so far. So that doesn't help when you have, like, I think they either had two or three errors on opening day. So that does not help when you got that going on behind you. So other than that, Rodon looked decent. The offense looked terrible. Um, <laughs> the offense is going to be tough to watch this year. I promise you that. So, but, yeah. Johnny, anything? 
Yeah, so Rodon, um, you know, I think he, you know, it's early. Um, He went into that sixth inning. I think he may have been over, not overworked, but, you know, just a little gassed by then. And, you know, of course, he's a gamer. He wants to stay in. He wants to uh, be the guy that gets those outs. But maybe if you're Ricky there, you make the call, go right to the pen there. Um, I mean, it's cold. He's not wearing sleeves. He's, you know, got the one button undone on his shirt. Uh, as much as he wants to be tough, it's cold. It's hard to get that arm, you know, uh, back geared up for another inning after, uh, you know, this is the earliest he's pitched uh, in the last two seasons there, um, you know, earliest in the year, regular season wise. So I, I think he may have been put out there a little too long, but that's not his fault. That's more of a coaching decision there. Um, and then, like John had said, the defense, uh, that was bad. Timmy had an error, but I think that was just kind of a wet ball that uh, just kind of airmailed. It wasn't even close. So I'm going to chalk it up to that. But, I mean, Yolmer Sanchez at second base, my God. Uh, we've already seen two of them, and it's bad. And then Covey also had a throwing error after he had come in. Uh, I believe he did pick up the loss for that on Thursday. So, um, I, you know, no runs until the ninth inning, though. That's kind of what gets me there. They didn't get going at all. Um, it was kind of a too little, too late effort. Uh, Eloy did record his first RBI there on a hit by pitch in the ninth inning, so I guess that's a little bright, a little bright spot. But other than that, you you would have liked to seen the bats go in like they were last year. You know, last year was a trash year overall. But I mean, hey, we still got to get excited on opening day because uh, Matty D hit three bombs, Timmy hit two bombs, and uh, we scored 14 runs on opening day last year, and uh, only three this year. And that those came in the ninth. So, so that was a little Tony. bit of weird baseball with Eli getting that first RBI on the hit by pitch. I know we we kind of prefaced a little bit of weird baseball. That that was one of those things that I felt like was was kind of interesting. I, I don't think anybody would have placed a bet on his first RBI coming on a hit-by-pitch. But, you know, I, I feel a little bad for Carlos Rodon right now because you're coming at the guy because he wanted to live up to his image. You know, he's got to keep that button undone. Otherwise, I think he loses his stuff. And you are right in the fact that uh, this is the earliest that he's pitched in any year because he's normally on the DL right now. But, I mean, I'd rather a healthy Carlos Rodon with his shirt you know, one button undone and no, no long sleeves. I don't know how he would do. I mean, that's something that I, I haven't really thought about before. But if this team were to make the playoffs, or if Carlos Rodon's ever on a team that makes the playoffs, and it's in November, late October, and it's thirty degrees, how's this guy gonna fare? I don't know. He's... A little off topic, but he said he's a gamer. I don't know. Something yeah, he about. seems like a seems like a superstitious guy too. So you yeah. just kind of got to keep going with what's working for you if that's the case. So yeah. I don't know. I but... guess we'll never know until we know. And with Carlos Rodon, we might never know. So we'll see. He's around for winning White Sox team. Yeah, or, yeah, he's on the DL. But yeah, I got to correct. I got to correct myself. Unfortunately, Rodon got that loss. It was not Kobe. Kobe picked up the loss in our most recent game, which we'll get to. But um, yeah, that that's something that we'll have to figure out when he gets to that point. And uh, will he come out with just an unbuttoned shirt and no sleeves next time? Um, it's actually tomorrow, today, actually. Since what they need to do Wednesday. is they need to bring the vest back, and then Rodon needs to just pull up with just the vest on, <laughs> like no undershirt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would be such a fit, dude. <laughs> that, that would be unbelievable. That's something I, that Bobby Jenks should have done. Shy Sox Weekly is in midseason form right now, guys. 
you know, one of the things that also bothered me about opening day, there's there was two things. Number one, it was the offense not showing up till the end. And number two is that I had to see Dylan Covey on opening day. Um, I thought that I'd at least make it two or three games into the year before I had to have my first Dylan Covey appearance. And I just have this sneaky suspicion that he's going to be Rick Renteria's guy out of that bullpen. And not in a good way. I feel like we are going to see way too much Dylan Covey this year. I almost want him to go back to a starter role so that I only have to see him every five days instead of seeing him two to three times per week on average, maybe more. But a little bit on the offense here. This team is really given that whole Ricky's boys don't quit uh, motto way too much ammunition when they play games like this because showing up in the eighth, ninth inning, all you see in the Twitter feed is this Ricky's boys don't quit stuff, and it just gets so obnoxious because to me it's not really Ricky's boys don't quit. It's more Ricky's boys don't show up until the ninth inning. And, Johnny, this is one of those things that we talked about with the Blackhawks over on Four Feathers a little bit. It's like why does this team not show up until they're completely almost out of a game? Where is all this offense during the first eight innings? It, this this could yeah. be very, very frustrating to watch as the season goes on, and we've seen it a few times already. Let's go to Saturday, though. Uh, an 8-6 loss. The offense showed up a little bit here, but uh, this Wait, was a uh, tough one for uh, Lopez. Yeah. Um, tough look for Ronaldo Lopez. He's honestly, definitely, I was about to say probably, he's definitely had the worst start out of all the Sox starting pitchers so far um, to start the year off. Uh, and we can debate on who's had the best. Lucas Giolito had a phenomenal start, but you could argue that Ivan Nova had quite a pretty damn good start, too. He got out of a couple jams. So. Um, but, yeah, uh, not a good look for Ronaldo Lopez. My prediction on the uh, 2019 Chicago White Sox team win leader. But he didn't start – no, actually, no. He started last year really, really hot, but – he didn't start in the second game of the season last year. He started in, I believe, the fifth. I think he was our fifth guy. He might have been our fourth guy last year coming out the gate. So, I think it was four, yeah. Yeah, it's obviously a whole different series when I'm pretty sure we were – It's he's facing a different team. I'm pretty sure we were home when he made his first start last year, and it's easier to get the momentum when you got people cheering for you instead of cheering against you. But that obviously is so minute to basically everything that went wrong – I think he had like f- how many earned runs? He had four earned runs. He gave up six hits in four innings, and he had four walks and only two strikeouts. That's the number that stands out to me is that he only had two strikeouts in four innings pitched against a pretty shitty Royals offense that we made look pretty damn good all weekend. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a little surprising for me. I thought Lopez would be the guy to more come out of the gate and have a start like uh, Giolito did. Come Sunday, I know we'll get to that, but uh, the thing was the command wasn't there. Uh, he was wild, you know, missing, you know, obviously the four walks there, but then even when he's like throwing strikes, it's like not exactly where he wants them. Um, I don't know if you play that up to the cold, uh, just not being ready or not dialed in enough. Um, just the bottom line is the command wasn't there. So we, we got to see that going forward. And that he's going to be the home opener starter. So I really don't, if I'm going to stick it out in the rain and be there and probably have a delay and they'll probably try to squeeze that game in on Thursday, I don't want to see a dog shit effort from Ronaldo Lopez. So, um, other than that, I mean, you had another error by Timmy in that game. Uh, 
I I know he's he's definitely improved on defense overall um, from his you know ground floor when you go through last season improved and then through you know looking through spring training and then this season but still it, it just gets in your mind if you're the you know league leader in errors or whatever he's already got two so far so um, only in those three games played. So um, my positives, though, home runs by Abreu and Moncada. Um, we'll get to Moncada's line, but um, Abreu, my boy, he's he's making my pick look good. Two home runs so far, so I can't complain about that. And then Eloy also got his first big league hit. So I'll take some positives out of that game. Um, overall, you know, you don't like to see a back-to-back losses to Kansas City. You would think that they should be a worse team than us in this division this year. But um, I'll take what I can get positive-wise there um, because that was the day that the offense actually, even though we lost that game, that was the day that the offense actually kind of got going a little bit. Tony? Yeah, they did get going, but again, it was late. I mean, it was the sixth inning before they even mustered anything up, um, kind of feeding into that again. I know they didn't really put anything up in the eighth or the ninth, but you know, I, I want to see this team come out and score runs early and get me excited for what's going to happen in the game. And they just did not do that on Saturday at all. Uh, wait until the sixth inning to even muster any offense. Again, that's something I'm looking looking to see. Um, the home runs, though, from Abreu and Moncada, I think, are huge. And like you said, we'll get into Moncada's line, but this was kind of his little breakout here. The first first big hit for him this year um and then Eloy getting the first and second big league hits uh it Eloy hasn't really had that great of a a start to the year um but seeing him get really excited about that first big league hit you know that's something that you know you love to see is a guy who's worked that hard to get to this level of baseball and and finally see that you know see that happen for him it uh you got to take those moments and, and pack them into the back of your mind and, and just remember that because you never know. I mean, Eloy's projected to be one of the greatest players uh, on this Sox team in, the, in this rebuild, um, and he's highly regarded across all of baseball. That's the first of many, um, and we all got to witness it. So uh, just, you know, be thankful that it came early on in the year instead of, you know, five, six games. I feel like it could have started to get a little bit out of hand for him. I mean, easily. Yeah, he right could have now. been like he could have been like Charlie Tilson last year. Well, here's yeah, yeah here's what you, I was. You get the pressure. That's what it is. You the, just get the pressure there, building. There is a yeah. lot of pressure, and one of the reasons I think Moncada's starting to do so well is because he sees Eloy down here just with all the pressure on his shoulders. And I think what that did that's I a, say like way back then? I'm like, all these guys are going to start playing better once the pressure is taken immediately off their shoulders. Mankata's been fucking awesome. Yeah, and I mean that's the thing though is you need to keep this prospect line moving so that it continuously takes the pressure off who's the last guy. And I think Eloy is probably going to be the guy that that has the most pressure on him out of everybody because there's there's absolutely no way that any other prospect in this rebuild has been talked about as much as him. No. So he was in he was in our system. I think he was like well in terms of like popularity of like top uh, prospects in baseball and being in our system, I think he got Mankata beat by about half a year by like being in our minor league system because we got Mankata in the winter and then Mankata, we called Mankata up that next July, correct? He didn't spend a whole year down, did he? 
I might be way off on no, my time. You're, right, you're right. No, yeah. you're right. It was, yeah. Uh, and then we got, yeah. So we got, yeah. So, and then we got Eloy mid um, two years ago. So, yeah, we've had Eloy in our minor league system longer. So that, I feel like that also adds to that. Cause I was super hyped for Mankata, dude. I got a Mankata jersey off DH gate before he even had an at bat in a White Sox. It's the saddest jersey you'll ever see. I'll wear it to a game this summer, but it's shit like that. Like I've been hyped for these guys. So, but I get what you're saying in terms of national spotlight. I don't think Mankata got talked about like Eli gets talked about. Right, and I think that that just plays into all the pressure that he's feeling. And he even came out after the first game and said, you know, it was the butterflies. I was feeling all the pressure. I'll get better. Um, but what I did not want to see happen for him is, you know, the Charlie Tilson and, and waiting for that first hit to come because, you know, God forbid he made it to Thursday without a hit. And, you know, we've all been, as fans, hyped for his debut. And if he comes in there over, I don't think that's a really good look, especially for him. I feel like it would have just compounded from there, and that's what I was worried about. So it was good to see him get that out of the way in game two um and then not have to deal with you know looking for that first hit um through the end of that series into cleveland and then into chicago so i was happy um let's get to the win yeah moving on from that uh, let's let's talk about the first win of the season sunday 6-3 over kansas city um jose abreu and alonzo went back to back um the first back-to-back jacks for the white Sox this year and then the man of the game, a guy that we have roasted on this podcast over and over, and I'm sure that this start made one person in White Sox Twitter very happy, um, Jordan Lazowski's guy, Lucas Giolito, with the no-hitter um, all the way into the seventh inning. Um, I'll let you guys take it away. How did you guys feel about that Giolito start? Yeah, Sunday was obviously a lot of fun to watch. Giolito with the um, no-hitter to, yeah, like you just said, into the seventh inning. Uh, His stuff was looking fucking nasty. Like, Giolito was sitting 94, which we did not see at all last year. Giolito sat, like, 92. That's going to help when you're throwing a more elevated and more consistent fastball. Um, His changeup looked fucking incredible. I think that was what got Giolito over the top on Sunday was Giolito's changeup looked like an aces changeup, which if we can see that all year, I'll fucking take it. And I'll eat my words a million times over if Giolito can pan out. Like I don't hate Lucas Giolito. I just hate how Lucas Giolito has been playing in a white Sox uniform. Um, Very well I, obviously, obviously I want all these guys to pan out. I don't root against the white Sox in any capacity. So like, if he's playing well, fuck yeah. But if he's playing like shit, I'm going to call him out for playing like shit. So awesome to see that. Bring, going back into Eloy a little bit, they were talking about Eloy's first hit on the telecast. I'm not sure if you guys were tuned into the telecast, but Jason Benetti uh, had mentioned, and I thought this was super fucking unique, but weird, but at the same time, something that we might be talking about years down the road. But Eloy Jimenez saved the ball from his first out, his first strikeout, his first walk and his and the hit by pitch, his first RBI. Like he has like four fucking baseballs saved from his like series, from like the whole series in Kansas City. And I'm sure the first home runs coming, like the maybe the first double, like you don't know. So this dude, trust me, he is different and he's built differently. And I've never heard something like that before. And to me, that's just a motivating factor. The fact that he's saving his first strikeout ball and he's saving his first out ball. 
Like we all for all we know, this dude could be sitting there right now just staring at this ball in like a glass case, just like I'll never do this again. Like, you know? And and that's like the type of mentality we need though. So like when I was sitting there listening to that, I was like, damn, this dude's like kinda psycho, but kinda the psycho we need. Yeah, I did that, not know that. that. You know, I, I honestly, I didn't know that either. So thank you for bringing that up, John. I, I must have missed that um, when that was going on. So yeah, I didn't catch that, but you know what? That's great. I actually like that mentality a lot. Uh, um, I feel like he's a guy that likes to sit there and study a lot of both his, you know, uh, mechanics at the plate, his, uh, you know, results themselves, and then also obviously film from other pitchers and what what have you. But um, I agree. I think it's kind of like the psycho that we need, if you're going to call it that. Um, I think it's more just dialed in, focused, and savoring every bit of this journey. Uh, And he's just thankful to be here and wants to make the most of it. So I think that's the biggest positive that we can take away from uh, that sort of process that he has there. Do you guys Um, think Eli saves anything else? I mean, I'm sure he, I'm, hey, if he's saving that, he's got to be saving some dirt, some chalk, some whatever, you know, all these uh, uh, memorabilia sort of things. Um, who knows? Maybe he's uh, leading a uh, collectibles like sort of like thing and he's just going to auction it off when he's a fucking Hall of Famer. So that would be awesome. I'll buy his first strikeout ball. A million dollars. All right. Um, yeah, that, so yeah, Sunday was obviously a lot of fun. It's the only W that we have as we're recording this right now. Um, Alex Colome came in, he got his first save, so it was nice to see that. Um, the bullpen looked decent in that game. I think, uh, yeah, from what I remember correctly, Giolito was just left in too long that game. So that's where two of those runs came from because Rick Renteria just doesn't know how to manage a fucking bullpen. And then I want to say Freire came in and gave up a run. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Burr. It was, it was Burr. Burr. Okay, I, yeah, my my guy it, Ryan Burr. But yeah, so the bullpen to this point has looked super spotty, but I don't think it's all on the bullpen. If if that makes sense, like you get what you give when you put Dylan Covey in in a high pressure situation, which we're gonna talk about in like two seconds. But the bullpen did not look too hot in these first four games. So it was nice on Sunday to see the bullpen actually look decent and to close the game out. So yeah, that was so a good takeaway. Just one take on the bullpen for Sunday. Herrera gave up a run there, um, yeah. but you know he, he got touched like a little bit, but that was in a situation where it was okay. We were already up six to two. Um, you know, it was the eighth inning. And then when Kyle May came in, your closer guy came in and he shut the door. Um, he had one strikeout and then a flawless, you know, he, he didn't see any extra batters any two. So those two guys still give me hope there. Um, I wish we're going to transition over. I wish we could have seen those guys on Monday at Cleveland, but unfortunately uh, that didn't happen. Tony, what did happen? Um, I've been waiting to talk about this one. Um, and I want to go back a little bit to Sunday and just say that it was absolutely refreshing to see Herrera and Calame come in and, and shut the door on a game. Um, that was just something that we have not had in quite some time. Um, there was no Nate Jones nonsense there. There was, I mean, it was just easy street. You had a feeling that the game was going to get shut down, and it did. We won. Very good. Then you go into Monday, which is a complete polar opposite of what we saw on Sunday. 
Um, you get a really good start out of Ivan Nova. That's something that I did not expect. Seven innings, six hits, only one run, only run, run given up. It was an earned run. Only walked one. I'm okay with four strikeouts through seven from a three-four guy in your rotation. Um, and then you get into the bullpen, and I have no idea what Rick Renteria was doing here because for the whole game, it just looked like the Sox weren't even going to muster anything. It looked like one run was going to give Cleveland the win here. And then who steps up? Moncada, the guy that we all have been waiting to see take over ball games, comes in and takes over a ball game. I mean, that's that's something that we're we're gonna need in this rebuild if this team wants to be successful. Is guys like Yon Moncada to rise to the occasion? He ripped that liner into left field, and you get uh, Jose Rondon scoring from second base, and then right after that, an unsung hero in Ryan Cordell goes yard. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't make this shit up, and you would think you would go with the same recipe that brought you success on Sunday, but Rick Renteria just decides that he's going to flip the script here and go and bring in Jace Fry, who you would think probably would be the lead-in guy to a Herrera. And if if Rick was using Jace Fry instead of Herrera here to get to Colome, it just didn't work because Jace Fry didn't have his stuff. What didn't? No, what, he didn't. What, what bothered, that, that surprised me a little bit. But it, it did surprise yeah, me after that. But it's what happens next because if Jace Fry doesn't have his stuff, and I believe by the time Jace Fry left, we were teetering on a tie ball game here. Who do we go to? The same guy we saw on opening day. Dylan Covey, and this is why I fear that Dylan Covey is going to be Rick Renteria's favorite option out of the bullpen, and this is going to piss me off all year, is when we see Dylan Covey in tie ball games in the eighth inning. This That, that is not the time for Dylan Covey to ever be out in a game if it is tied or the White Sox are winning. I'm sorry, that is just bad management. Dylan Covey does not deserve the ball in late-inning situations whether or not we're up by five runs or down by five runs, he should be slotted in a long relief, like just loogie situations, whatever. Dylan Covey should never have come into this ball game, and to me, that's a fireable offense for Rick Renteria just right off the bat. Because if you can't manage this game right here in early or in late March, early April, to get a win, I mean, this was a, this was such a winnable game, and John. You've said this over and over and over again. We have to win these games in our division if we want to be successful. This was a chance to go take opening day for Cleveland and shove it right down their throats. And what do we do? We trot out Dylan Covey and Frere, and we end up walking in two runs. Why? Why? I don't understand it. It's And then you get into this post-game presser, and Rick Renteria says, well, we were trying to get to, to column A. Why not bring him out there and work him two innings? It's, it's April 1st with an off day the next day. Who cares if he pitched the day before? You need to get outs. Not let Dylan Covey and Caleb Frere come in and 
screw shit up. It's just ridiculous. And that, to me, is why Rick Renteria will not be managing the next White Sox team that makes the playoffs because they're never going to get there with bullpen management like that. I'll turn it over to you guys because this one has me too fired up. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I'm definitely with you 100%, dude. It was fucking – so basically I'm going to give you guys a rundown of how I watched that game. I was at work because that was obviously a mid-afternoon game. I think it started at 3. So I got off work at like 5, and I got home, and I I literally watched it from when Santana drove that run in on. So I got to see the whole game just collapse before my eyes. So basically, as I'm coming home, I hear that uh, Caleb Frere was warming up in the bullpen. And I thought to myself, fuck, dude, it's a it's a zero zero game right now. Like, does he want to lose his game? There's so many better options than to just go and throw Caleb Frere into the fire in a fucking situation where the base and Carlos Santana is coming up. That's my thought process at the time. So obviously they keep Nova and Nova gives up the hit and then um the next inning you get the sort of rally where you get the Mankata double and then you get the Cordell two-run bomb so now you have the lead so you go from wanting to throw Caleb Frere in when you're about to like when you're about to lose essentially to you get the lead so you throw Jace Fry in so obviously your whole momentum or your mentality on the situation changed right then and there to go throw Jace Fry in when you're trying to win and what do they do? They bring Caleb Frere in later in the game in an even worse situation, and the base is loaded, and he walks a guy with a zero batting average on the season and a one he hit 168 last year and 200 plus plate appearances. And you walked him on four pitches. That actually can happen. I'm not kidding you. I watched that. My eyes were bleeding. They were fucking bleeding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was screaming at my TV. And I'm glad you said it was on April 1st because I could have said in March. And that shouldn't happen. Like, you, sh- I shouldn't be – I was pissed, dude. I was so mad at just that situation in general because we could have escaped that if you go and you throw Colome in and he hammers that situation down. I get it. You already – the damage is done. You threw Kovey in and you fucked it. Like, that already happened. It's over with. But you go in, you're, you're only down one. It's so much more demoralizing going into the ninth down five to three – than four to three two runs is a it's it could be 10 runs that one run is not a big deal going into the ninth inning if you're a baseball player but once it's more than one you start to kind of wonder like shit now i gotta do more than just hit a solo home run like we can't just get saved by one guy now like and then we came up pretty sure it was like seven eight nine part of the order so yeah we should be two and two right now with like you said a very easily winnable um in interdivision game so yeah so two things real real quick here one this team needs to step on the throats of their opponents and in order to step on the throat of your opponent when you have them down it means pitching your best pitchers in late inning situations it's not that hard if all three of us can sit here and say other people in that bullpen should have been pitching on that day. I don't understand why Rick Renteria needs to play these Mickey Mouse games and dance around the issue. Just put in your best pitcher. I don't care if they pitched the day before. I don't care if they've pitched two days in a row. We're sitting here talking about how these guys are going to be the, the trade pieces come the deadline. 
but yet we're protecting their arms like they're these precious things that are going to get us you know something <laughs> that they're going to be needed in october i don't think this team is going to be playing in october who cares Go get wins now, and we'll deal with it later. You have an, That's the thing that bothers me. You have an off day the next day. So it's not like they're going to be going four times in a row. And when you have the chance to beat the team that's won the AL Central now over and over again, you go and beat them. You don't just try and get by on Dylan Covey. Second thing, Johnny, you just cracked a beer. And it looked like a Budweiser, and it looked like one of those uh, nice new Sox cans. And I want to get to this real quick. This is just a it little is. tidbit. Show it off for the camera, maybe get a little screenshot um, for for the listeners. We could put up on the Twitter. Um, yeah, get, get that snapshot. Um, I got him. One, one thing I want to point out here is that the, the Budweiser, my favorite beer, a beer that's near and dear to my heart, has released these really good-looking – white Sox cans and all across the south side i can't find them anywhere and the only place that seems to carry them is the tinley park target has i, I don't know if, if johnny yeah, if you've seen them anywhere else i know i was i was out that way anyway on uh let's see on friday last friday so i just went and picked up a case so um i figured because i actually had seen it i would i would have to go back and find who uh um, who actually posted it first there, and they had said that's where they found them. Um, I, I retweeted it, so it's down on my timeline a little bit, but um, that's how I found out that it was even there. And I am, I'm, I'm within you know a drive distance. I could do it on a weeknight, so I went out there and I got them on a Friday. So here, here's my problem with this. I went to a Jewel, and I live down in Lockport, so this is Southside Jewel. South suburbs, and they only had Cubs cans, and I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. That these beautiful cans of Budweiser cannot be found anywhere except for one place so far that I know about them. So if anybody out there finds these White Sox cans outside of Tinley Park, maybe a little bit closer to the Lockport area, please tag me in a tweet and let me know where they're at because I need to get my hands on some. If not, I'll be making the drive to Tinley. I'm closer than you, Johnny. So. Um, wouldn't be too bad for me, but I just think it's ridiculous uh, that that the Sox cans can't be found as easily as the Cubs cans can. So I just had I had to bring that up because I saw you crack that beer. But anyway, let's move on back into uh, a little bit of better news than than what Rick Renteria has done with the bullpen. Let's talk a little bit about Yohan Moncada. Yeah, Yohan's off to a hot start. He is batting four twelve. Um, on base percentages at 444, he's slugging 706. He's seven for 17. And so we know these are, you know, limited samples. It's still very young in the season, but he is seven for 17 on the year, two doubles, one home run, four RBIs, a walk, and only three strikeouts. So, uh, that's encouraging. Honestly, I'm most encouraged by the, uh, only three strikeouts there. Um, you know, the pressure, I think, is huge that John had said. It's lifted off of his shoulders. He had to be the guy. He was the only guy around here for the longest time. I mean, Kopech came up, and he brings a little bit of that off, but then, you know, that's short-lived with Tommy John, um, and he's a pitcher, so he's only, you know, playing once every five days. Um, so, Moncada, pressure is off of him. Um, it looks like, you know, 
in spring training, there was still a question about whether, oh, well, has he really done anything to improve these strikeout numbers at all? Um, you know, in spring training, it was kind of questionable that, you know, you could say that you could make a case that he didn't. But so far, so good through, I mean, granted, it's only four games. But so far, so good, and he is playing up to that potential. And he came up with a clutch hit in a clutch situation from the right side. That was that RBI double that tied the game on Monday at Cleveland. So that that's what I was most excited about. You guys? Yeah, well, yeah, my favorite Yohan Mankata moment so far throughout the season is, like you said, on Sunday, that clutch double. I was watching the ESPN telecast instead of the, um, I believe it was on WGM. That's probably why I wasn't watching i don't know why else i wouldn't be watching i stream most of my games off the nbc sports app so obviously i can't stream games that are on wgn off that so i was just watching it uh, it was nice to see the uh, socks on a national stage for once they played on espn maybe once maybe twice last year i know they for sure played the reds i don't remember they might have played the indians another time yeah but... it was memorial day weekend yeah. against the indians those are the only two though you're right fourth of july yeah and that memorial yeah. day so we don't get on the national stage much. So it was nice to see that. So I, I'm sitting there and I forget who it was. I'm pretty sure Carl Ravitch was one of the guys, but it wasn't the one who was talking. So whoever was talking was saying that, you know, this is a situation where the White Sox really need someone to pull through. And we don't think Yoan Mankata is the guy. Or like, I'm not sure if Yoan Mankata is the guy. Here's a guy who led the MLB in strikeouts all last year. And I'm literally like sitting there and I was like talking and I was like, yeah, but he's not the same guy as last year. And literally, I didn't even complete the sentence. I literally got to the Y in a year. And Mankata just ropes it, dude. I was literally, I was running through my apartment because I just got off work. So I was changing. So, of course, I changed right into my Yoan Mankata jersey that I was just talking about earlier. And that Yoan Mankata jersey might be bad luck. It might be the reason that we lost the game. Well, actually, not really, because Cordell hit the home run after I threw it on. So, like I said, not a superstition guy. But, yeah. The only reason we lost that game, John, is because of Rick Renteria. Yeah, exactly. So, that was fucking Don't don't place blame on our superstitions. We can do that later in the year when it's some freak sort of shit. I I think that's what made that game so painful though was that imagine how much momentum this Sox team would have moving forward if you get Mankata coming through in a situation like that and it's sticking and then the the dagger is Ryan Cordell hitting a pinch hit two run home run in in the place of the guy that you used that you would yeah. normally see the home, home run, run we didn't even you know get what I'm it saying exactly. it was we, Daniel I'm sitting there I'm for. sitting there talking endless shit about did you seriously just pinch hit and that might have been Rick Renfrew his stupidest but best move of the night he got lucky <laughs> was literally he got lucky you're right Tom because I was screaming at my TV prior to that like what the fuck are you doing and I mean you can go over the splits and how he was facing a lefty instead of a righty all you want but I still want Palkin in that situation and. I'm glad Cordell came through, but I hope that he doesn't do some shit like that again. <laughs> so you so, bring yeah. up you bring up Palka, and right now I'm a little bit worried about the guy. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little bit worried that. Uh, and uh, you know what? The other weird thing about that game was he was Rick, Rick Renteria had him batting second. Um, and Johnny, we can get into uh, yeah. Garcia if you want to. Uh, but I bet that's a little bit of a touchy subject for you right now. I mean, the guy had a hot spring. No, I didn't. I didn't think no, he. Yeah. I don't think he's played too terrible. But I wanted to make this about Daniel Palka. Is I mean, he just does not look like last year so far. And this might be a little bit of an overreaction because, you know, we're only f- like four games into the year, 
but we've already made assumptions right now that, that Mancata's fixed, that Lucas Giolito is going to be way better than he was last year, and that, you know, Polka's terrible now, and that Tim Anderson's defense is taking a step backwards. Um, it's really fun to make these assumptions now because I look back to last year when, when John and I recorded, and I think in in late spring training I was like, oh, Giolito's an ace, and then he leads the league in ERA. You know, it's it's really interesting to watch over the course of the baseball season and take a look at what we're feeling right now. And everything, a lot of stuff is going to have the script flipped. And we're going to be talking about how, you know, Palka all of a sudden was hitting 280 potentially somewhere down the line over a hot stretch and, and looks way better. And the next stretch that Yon Moncada has where he's 0 for 12 with eight strikeouts, we're going to be like, what the hell happened to this guy? So it's really fun right now to just make these assumptions, but yeah, small sample sizes make for a hilarious debate here. Yeah, it's it's gonna be funny to go back. What do you guys think after the first four games out of you know some of these guys? Maybe it's Moncada, maybe it's Palka, maybe it's Lucas Giolito. Who right now is gonna flip the script? And when we look back in September, based off of these first four games and and the rest of the season is going to completely have a different outlook when we're talking about them. You yeah. John, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to go first. I, I just, I'll start it off right there with Daniel Polka, the guy who brought us into this. Um, it, it's four games. Um, I know he's got six strikeouts. Eloy also has six strikeouts, but are we like, you know, all up in arms about that? Granted, Polka doesn't have a hit. But, I mean, the power's still there. When he connects, it's going to go. Um, I saw that exhibition game right before we got into the season. Granted, it's exhibition, but, you know, he's putting balls off that, like, the as far as they can possibly go in the Diamondback Stadium without going out for doubles, um, making solid contact. His exit velocity is really solid. Um, I, I think that's a guy that'll be flipping the script for us, Tony. John, how about you? Yeah, um... Like you said, four games. I'm not going to read too far into really anybody's play so far except Yomer Sanchez. I hate that guy. I it went from he used to be the lovable utility guy that you would root for and you hoped got more at-bats or more time in the field, whatever it may have been, to, okay, we gave him his time in the field, and to that didn't work, To It seems like we're just kind of holding a place at second base until we can put something better there. And his second base defense, I'm going to fucking lose years off my life if I have to watch Yomer Sanchez at second base all year. So I know we signed like a lot of guys on veteran contracts. Like they have Ryan Goins in the minor system. I don't know if he's still there. I know we got, you Escobar randomly like a week ago. And I, I, I would honestly rather see one of these like, old school like veteran from shortstops taking these reps i would rather see jose rondon getting the everyday reps at second base or wherever and then get uh yomer sanchez just as far away from the 20 he's my new nicky delmonico now that nicky delmonico is gone i have to have someone to hate and it's yomer sanchez but he's fun and he pours gatorade on himself he can pour <laughs> gatorade on himself all he wants dude i, I don't like him so was, yeah. wait, was it you now? I thought it was El Sadie's Escobar. Oh, El Sadie's Escobar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, my bad. Wrong Escobar. Yeah, it should have just been Pablo Escobar. Yeah. He'd probably play better for defense. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we yeah, could have. Yeah, I'd rather see Nicky Delmonico taking some reps at second base at this point in time. Oh, Jesus. 
Jesus, we're already getting to this point. We're four games in, guys. Um, this is what uh, makes it Yulmer, fun. I, I, ju- I just wanted, I wanted uh, one thing on Yulmer. The two errors that were costly, uh, bad time, um, led to runs, key runs. Um, that's not going to fly. I agree with you 100%, John. It feels like we're just holding a place at second base. Um, I just wanted to clarify, I'd put out a tweet from my personal account the other day that you know, Tim Anderson had uh, been scratched from the lineup about an hour and a half before game time on Monday at Cleveland. Um, he had to head back to Chicago. His wife is expecting his second child, so congratulations to them. Um, I had put out a tweet, and I had said that, you know, oh, all the Jose Rondon is going to make this team infinitely better crowd has to be so mad that they have to see Yolmer play again today. Um, that has to just... That is just me airing out there that, sure, Rondon, Jose Rondon is probably who you want to see getting these reps because you want to just see what he can do. You want him to prove himself that, okay, he's not a major league guy. Okay, we're not going to get the same power that we see at AAA here. Um, But until then, you know, you got to, like, give him some time and, like, let him actually prove it one way or the other. Um, So it it wasn't like to say that I don't want to see Jose Rondon. But basically, it's just reiterating the point that John had brought up. We're holding a place here at second base. Is Jose Rondon really the answer here? No, it's just another option. So um, that that's all I've got there. But yeah, I agree that Yulmer Sanchez is just frustrating. So um, we, we I think we need to get into Eloy a little bit here. Uh, yeah, that's let's, that's let's, another topic. Let's talk Eloy. I, mean, I kind of said a little bit about Eloy earlier. With the, I'm just happy that he got his first hit out of the way in game two. Um, but overall, not impressed so far. Not impressed with what I've seen from Eloy. Uh, I think a lot of people expected him to be the guy that comes out of the out of the gate scorching hot, and I've kind of tempered expectations on what his first month is going to look like. I don't know about you guys. I think Eloy struggling wouldn't bother me as much if Fernando Tatis wasn't just absolutely tearing it up right now. And I second that. <laughs> so I mean, I'm just gonna have a drink. Yeah, yeah he, he's we, gonna turn the corner. We I'm could just, not worried. We could just stay all. quiet right now and just do shots. Yeah, I'm not worried at all about a guy that's probably that. For all we know, that could have been his first game in like weather like that. I mean, you're not gonna get that weather in the Southern League. You're not gonna get that weather in the Dominican League. You're not gonna get that weather really anywhere. I don't know how – I mean, he's not going to get it in spring training. So that might play a huge factor, and he's got to adjust. you got to adjust to shit like that. Like, I played fall ball the first year when I was younger, and it was cold like every game, and I sucked that year because I just couldn't adjust to just the temperatures. So some people are like that. Obviously, I think Abreu is kind of one of those guys, so it's nice to see him not be like that anymore. But, yeah, it's kind of hard for – someone to obviously with all those expectations to just come right out the gates and just produce at the level that people are expecting you to produce at when it's like 20 degrees with the wind chill and you don't even want to swing your bat because if you get a stinger your hand is shaking for 20 minutes straight so honestly he'll he'll be fine um he'll (laughs) he'll definitely start playing better i think like end of april beginning of may but i do still think he has a very strong chance to be the al rookie of the year he's going to probably play the most games out of all al rookies barring injuries so 
he just needs to tone his strikeout rate down. Other than that, um, yeah, he's looked decent. He just swings at a lot of sliders in the wrong batter's box. Yeah, John, I, I really like everything that you just said there. Um, granted, both those two hits came on sliders, so good for him in that regard. It's not like yeah. he's completely like oblivious to it and just waiting for something that he can sit on and drive, uh, you know, fastball-wise, or if it's a hanging, breaking ball. Um, so that that was like the little bit of encouraging part there. Um, he does have two RBIs, so, I mean... That, very I unconventional mean, credit, RBIs. They're very unconventional, not how we figured they'd come. Uh, one was a hit-by-pitch, one was a regular base on balls. Um, he struck out six times, so, yeah, sure, that's kind of concerning. It's his first look at Major League Pitching. It's cold as hell, like John had mentioned. Um, I, I am not concerned. I will agree with you, Tony, that I will temper expectations for the first month a little bit i would have loved to see him come on and be as hot as you know fernando tatis is down in san diego um but you know what we still have a masher of a future guy that we have locked up for a long time now um and this is very 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 beginning of it so imagine we're going to sit here and like we're analyzing these first four games of his now just imagine where we're doing it even a year from now so this was this was the guy that i I was going to bring up johnny when when i I talked about flip the script would be eloy yeah no absolutely but i also think polka too because this start is not uh you know, Paul is still going to get his home run wise. He's just got that raw power, and like I said, his exit velocity, exit velocity has been, uh, you know, up there. So I'll I'll give Polka that, and Eloy may take a little bit longer to adjust. Sure, um, but I still think, like John had said, that's why I kind of really don't have anything. I'm kind of rehashing these points, but I think you'll still see him up there in those AL Rookie of the Year conversations. So if not winning it. So that uh, I'm not, no. Are we worried about Eloy? No, that's the answer. Could we start the, are we worried about Eloy questions on Twitter? Cause we did pretty well with, are we worried about Moncada last year? I'm just wondering, yeah. I'm wondering well, who the first person to elicit, elicit angry responses from Chuck Garfine. Yeah, no, that's what we're that going great. for. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Eloy will turn it around. I'm not. I'm not worried about him at this point. Um, like John said, he's kind of a freak. He he saves stuff. He he probably stares like John said at at those baseballs. <laughs> he the the first strikeout, and I'm I'm picturing it in my head right now, and it's 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 making me chuckle a little bit just <laughs> thinking about Eloy staring at a baseball like John was doing earlier, saying like I'm never going to do this again. Um, so I, I like that. Like John said, you know, we, we need a freak like that. We need some weirdo like that who's just, you know, hyper-focused. Um, and I want to get into some stuff when we talk about something in, in the next section here uh, during Rick Hahn's interview today on 670 The Score. Uh, but we're going to get to that uh, right after the ad break. Um, but the only other thing about Eloy that I, I want to comment on is that his defense, woof. It needs some work. When they said that Eloy was going to be held down due to his defense, he does not take charge on any sort of pop fly that comes his way um, that could be contested by a shortstop, third baseman, or center fielder. I do not like what I've seen so far of Eloy playing left field, and that's something that we saw 
or we heard from Clinton Cole last year um, when he was on Chai Sox Weekly. He told us we are going to absolutely hate watching Eloy play the outfield. Um, any comments on his defense, guys? Yeah, um, his defense obviously isn't uh, Palka's of last year, but and that's another. That's thing, another Palka, guy. Palka <laughs> yeah, looks, yeah, that looks, looks he, bad he looks, too. Yeah, he, yeah. So our corner outfielders aren't the hottest, but I have seen a few like instinctive plays from Eloy that shows me that if he actually puts the time in, like off season after off season over the next couple of years, he can actually become a legitimate corner defender. I don't think that like I don't think he's that out of position by being an outfield. I don't know like the words I'm looking for, but I honestly think that he could pan out in the outfield with like the right training, but I I don't know. He doesn't look too hot so far. For Eloy, I'm going to go ahead and throw a defense up right away. Um, sure, there were a couple of balls in KC. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to first series nerves. And then I'm going to shit on Jose Rondon for waving him off and then falling down, expecting Eloy to make the catch on Monday at Cleveland. What the hell is that? Um, you're the, you know, the shortstop. I mean, I, I guess the outfielder has, you know, takes charge there. That is, you know, their call over the... Um, infielder on a short fly ball on the in-between there. But Jose Rondon literally waved him off. So Eloy kind of slowed up, stopped a little bit. He was still right there, but he kind of stopped because Rondon said he was going to. Then Rondon falls down over on his side and then looks back at Eloy like, oh, how is this ball not caught? So I'm going to go with that there. Um, I think he picks it up just to just. And, you know, as soon as he starts hitting dingers and is very consistent at the plate, I think we will forget a lot about this, even if the defense is still kind of just mediocre. So, yeah, Johnny, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a I'm going to be a stand there. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Eloy is not here because he's a great defensive outfielder. He's here to hit dingers. Um, yes. And I mean, that's that's his bread and butter. That's why he's in the lineup. He can hit the cover off the ball. Uh, nobody's expecting him to win gold gloves out there. Um, it just gets it gets a little complicated when you also have Daniel Palka sitting out there in right field watching fly balls go over his head. And, you know, we can't seem to call the ball the, the correct way. And like you said, I mean, it's if, if it's the left fielder's ball and he should be taking charge there, I mean, he's got the, the direct route running in versus the shortstop who's looking over his shoulder. Um you know, Eloy just needs to, I guess, you know, step it up there and, and call somebody else off in that situation, and I think that'll get learned in time. Um, one of the things about Eloy, though, that really bothers me, and one of the reasons I think that he's a little bit cold at the plate right now, is don't you guys think that he would be a little bit better off if he was taking some more meaningful at-bats during spring training to kind of get himself into a groove rather than being sent down and playing on the backfields against... Um, lesser opponents in those situations not that spring training is going to get him uh, at bats against the greatest of pitching but towards the end of spring training and the and the middle chunk of it you start to see you know major league pitchers making some starts and getting him some at bats against major league sliders major league breaking balls stuff like that um, I think the Sox really did a disservice to him to start the year by um, sending him down before they signed him um, I don't know what you guys think about that but I I think that that could be 
a little bit of what we see going on here with him is he just was not prepared properly during spring training. I could see some of that. I agree with the, the chunk of time there. Um, that's like those formative weeks are when those rosters start to take shape. So that's when you're seeing, like you had said, more of those major league caliber of breaking balls. Um, so, yeah, maybe less reps exposed to that. I, I think that's a good point to bring up, Tony. I wouldn't chalk it all up to that. I would chalk some of it up to major league nerves. Um, I would chalk some of it up to cold weather. I would chalk some of it up to uh, just basically almost shitting his pants because it's still the major leagues. doesn't matter how much of a big guy he is and a uh, you know super freak uh, strong hitter you're still going to be nervous at that level. So I would chalk it up to all of that. But I do think, yes, the White Sox probably did do him a little bit of a disservice in that. Um, but I think in the end, he was probably still just happy to get his money when he did. Um, probably would have liked it a little bit earlier, but he's still not complaining about it now that he doesn't have to go and sit in Charlotte for two and a half weeks. I would say it's better for him to be up here doing this now. Um, in a season that we're really not going to compete. Let's be honest, like as much as we're talking about how we want to go and go balls out with the back end of the bullpen and all that, like, yeah, sure, those come up to coaching decisions there. But, you know, this team's not going anywhere this season. So, um, you know what, let's – oh, but then I could go back and say he could have been getting these reps at the end of last season. So yeah, there's true. my point um, when I had my Eloy boxes checked sign on August 1st last year, I warned you, I told you White Sox front office, I showed it to you. Um, so that may have alleviated some of this early on this year, but I'll take the growing pains. It's fine with me. All right. Um, John, do you have anything to comment on that before we go into an ad break real quick? No, I'm yeah. Eloy is not broken. There's really nothing wrong with him. He's just a young guy that, isn't mashing baseballs quite yet and he will be all summer. So I'm not worried about him. Um, like I said earlier, Tatis ripping the cover off the ball already just doesn't make it look good on him, but it is what it is. Everybody's their own player and everybody progresses differently, but Eloy's going to be fine. Yeah. And to just comment on that one little thing before the ad, um, look what we see in Yon Moncada now versus what we've seen before. Um, everybody develops at their own pace. So, uh, with that said, we're going to go to an ad break real quick. When we come back, uh, we've got Twitter questions and a look at the week ahead. Weekly, I'm Johnny Nani. We've got Tony Marchese, John Suarez with me. Um, before we get to all that fun stuff that Tony had talked about right before the break, uh, we got to get to something that's a little bit pressing and not as fun really quick. Uh, Rick Hahn did an interview with 670 The Score this afternoon, and there were some quotes in there that just make you shake your head even more at the whole situation of what went down over the offseason with the White Sox failing to convert on top targets. So 
Um, we're just going to read off a couple of these uh, quotes, these tweets from 670 The Score and get a little bit of a reaction around table here. So amid criticism of not calling up uh, Eloy last year, Rickon says the White Sox had legitimate concerns about his nutritional and training habits. They loved how he responded, though, hiring his own nutritionist who moved in with him in Charlotte. That's news to us. Yeah, uh, very, very much news to me. First, I'll preface this with I forgot to to uh, mention this on the rundown for the second half of the show. Uh, this is not going to be a fun segment. Did not know that Eloy had poor nutritional habits. Um, not sure why Yon Mancata isn't brought up here because him eating all those Twinkies wouldn't be considered poor nutritional habits, I guess. But if uh, if Eloy's are worse than Yon Mancata's Twinkie habits, I'm very concerned at what Eloy was doing before. Uh, I don't know what it is. There was no elaboration here. Um, wouldn't you think that the top prospect in the White Sox system, uh, his you know dietary and nutritional habits are being monitored a little bit more by the team guys? I mean, that's another thing. Uh, not quite sure what this meant or why Rick Hahn felt the need to bring it up. Um, probably something better left unsaid here. Um, just... Really left scratching my head after this, uh, John. Anything from you on this one? I don't remember who said it or when they said it, but I'm, it was either someone that I was talking to about the Sox or someone that like was just like nationally speaking about the Sox. But Eloy Jimenez had quite the fast food habit last year when he was in the minor leagues, and I don't remember if it was Taco Bell. Oh, fuck, I can't. Yeah, remember you love Taco Bell. It, it was Taco, Taco Bell. Bell. He had like a, a straight up Taco Bell addiction where he would just demolish like a ton of fucking Taco Bell. So that's a hundred percent what Rick Hahn's talking about. And I don't remember who told me, but that nutritionist thing's actually kind of old news because, well, obviously, like you said last year, it happened in Charlotte. But I had heard that before. I actually knew that he had a nutritionist because of the whole fast food thing. So I don't know. Obviously. They need to eventually elaborate on that. Like, they can't just keep just saying, like, yeah, well, he hired a nutritionist and he had poor eating habits. Like, like what led to that? Who showed him Taco Bell? Why did he get so hooked on Taco Bell? Like, there's a loophole somewhere in there. So, I don't know. I don't think it's the end of the world. Obviously, him hiring his own nutritionist Here. is, like, him saying, like, while I do love Taco Bell, I love money and being good at baseball Here's more. my question. So, Here's my question, John. I'm going to cut you off real, real quick. If we did Twinkies for e- or for Yon last year, if Eloy goes into a slump, are we doing, you know. Party packs for Eloy. Yes. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, he was still mashing oh, yeah. dingers while he was, you know, chowing down on the $5 box last year. So. Oh, yeah. I'll pull up to the tailgate with the party pack. You pull up with the party pack. Nani pulls up with the party pack. That's 36 we'll, tacos already. We'll bring him to left field. We'll throw him right out there for Eloy. He could just eat a taco and then go up and mash it there. <laughs> Last year, I, like, literally, like, took a whole box of Twinkies and just, like, distributed it throughout my body. Like, I had, like, two Twinkies in my left sock, like, a Twinkie in my right sock, like, a Twinkie in my hoodie, a Twinkie in the hood of my hoodie. Like, I literally had, like, 20 Twinkies just, like, if if I had ended up getting, like, searched <laughs> for whatever reason, like, whoever did search me would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? So here's <laughs> a, he have so many Twinkies? Here's a sponsorship uh, idea. You know, if every time Eloy hits a dinger, Chicagoland gets a free uh, taco from Taco Bell on the way home. They should they should write that up right right now. I like that. 
Hey, some people at the end of the season. My only comment on that is some people are freak athletes or freak body types where they can just eat whatever and never get fat, um, never lose any sort of steam. So maybe Eloy was that type, but you know, whatever. Good thing he got a nutritionist. Um, that's all in the past. He's got that. They're going to have that locked down up here at the major league level, obviously monitoring it closely. So I don't think anything more needs to be said about that, but hopefully they do give us free decos after Eloy Dingers. Um, I would like that a lot. So on to the next one. Rick Hahn says of Jose Abreu's future and how it pertains to the team's championship window. There's certainly room for a Jose Abreu on that team when the time comes. And we'll loop this in with the second one. Um, and he says, uh, while he admits the team listens to all trade offers, he never expected a Jose Abreu deal to go through because White Sox value him so highly for leadership skills. Presence with youngsters, unquantifiable uh, qualities for other teams. So, comments on Jose Abreu here. Jose Abreu has not yet accepted an offer with vesting options at the end that are based on plate appearances. Um, That's the only thing I can say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Got team? Yeah, Jose Abreu is probably, like he said, he wants to retire with the White Sox. If they can work on a deal this offseason in which Jose Abreu can take somewhat of a pay cut and he's okay with that, then that's a scenario in which I can see Jose Abreu sticking around. But if that's where the money will be spent is on an extension for Jose Abreu, fuck this organization, dude. I swear to God. Um, yeah, I would love to see Jose Abreu stick around, but for the right price. So I'm not sure his deal's up at the end of this year. I'm pretty sure. Or he might, he yeah. might hit. Yeah. That's yeah, contract so. year. Yep. Yeah. So they are going to have to extend him at some point. You don't even want him to get to free agency with the fucking market. So you might see an Abreu like coupled, like maybe like a three, four year extension in August, September, just to kind of keep him from hitting the market or maybe even before that. But that's something that I could easily see is them extending a Brayu on like a team friendly deal and keeping him in like a DH role or like something like that. He's definitely his days are numbered at first base for sure. He's getting old. So we'll see. I'm cool with it though. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is just Rick Hahn dancing around it. He needs to address it um, because Jose is one of the only veteran mainstays on this team. Um, so he absolutely needs to address it. It's a little bit of a playing to the fan base. It's a little bit of we still want some sort of, you know, older veteran, someone who's been around a little bit, you know, through the he, he basically kind of wants to reward him uh, for sticking through the shitty stuff. And hopefully he gets to sniff some winning teams in his time here. So um, I feel like that's just where it's at. I, w- I would probably guess. At some point, we will see a Jose Abreu extension. That would be my prediction for some point this year, unless they really feel that his values, you know, through the roof to where they can trade him for something come that trade deadline window. Obviously, there's only one now. So uh, I, I would guess that he's getting ascended at some point this season. So uh, that's my only take on it. Next comment. Oh, God. We, we, do we really have to go back to the Machado stuff? Uh, yeah, we did because Rick, Rick Hahn opened his mouth again. Um, says he was fired up when the Bears traded for Khalil Mack because he understands how difficult it is to pull off a franchise-changing move like that. And he's a Bears fan. Ooh. Ooh, lad. Uh, go ahead. 
just fire out fire away all right so right before he goes into this he talked about you know signing players and transactions and and all that across sports because this was led in by lawrence holmes um talking about are you still as big of a chicago sports fan as you ever were and rick kind of talked a little bit about how being in the business has kind of taken away from him actually feeling the raw emotions of a fan but he still lives vicariously through his sons um, who are, you know, teenagers and in the prime of their sports fandom uh, lives and all that other stuff. So Rick made a really weird statement where um, without directly quoting what he said, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, I understand that it's not all about just throwing money at a player to get a transaction done. There's more that goes into it than just that. This is the type of backwards thinking that leads to Yonder Alonso and John Jay being on the White Sox. Um, this is the type of backwards thinking that leads to, you know, jamming your roster up with players who have no business being on that on that said roster. Money is probably the biggest reason. It is the biggest reason that Manny Machado is playing in San Diego and not Chicago. And and we all know that. The White Sox front office still doesn't know that. Um, but it's true. Couple that with what he said about Mike Trout in this interview. I don't think we have this one on the rundown. Um, but they asked him earlier on in this interview if um, the White Sox were surprised by the $430 million that Trout got. And Rick Hahn responded with, I don't think there was any number we would be surprised by. He's contradicting himself here when he says, I'm not surprised that Mike Trout got $430 million, but then says in a different statement that it's not all about throwing money at a player. And then he goes on to say that he was fired up when the Bears got Khalil Mack because it it was, you know, he knows how hard it is to go and make a franchise changing move i'm not a football guy but i'm pretty sure that the bears stole cleo mack from oakland in a deal that was pretty lopsided at least as far as performance on the field goes uh, i'm pretty sure it was for some draft picks that may that, end up hurting the bears it. but i don't know john you, you you're you're jumping at the bit to chime in on this one i'm not a football guy so i'm not going to try no. to analyze this <laughs> as, as, as deep as it goes here but to me, it it was it's it's more or less the fact that Rick Hahn is sitting here getting excited about going out. That the Bears went out of their way to acquire top tier talent, and the Sox did everything this offseason to say that they were going to acquire top tier talent, and then backed off because they got scared. And that's not how you go out and get top tier talent. You have to accept the risk at the end of at the end of the deal. Um, you have to accept the risk in any sport when you're trading away draft picks. You have to accept that risk that it's going to hurt you in the future in order to acquire that talent now to win a championship. And that's what that's what bothers me. And, and John, I'll turn the mic over to you. I honestly think that Rick Hahn, I don't know if that was, obviously it was a question that was asked, but the response itself, him like alluding to how it's a franchise what – what is the exact word? Hold on, I'm pulling it up. He was fired up when the Bears traded for Khalil Mack because he understands how difficult it is to pull off a franchise-changing move like that. I think that's like a pre-cop-out for 
future situations and when he can't come through for a trade like he's just gonna yep. pull back and just say yeah well it's pretty fucking hard to do that <laughs> like no shit man like that's you gotta be able to pull these moves off to be great everything that makes a great baseball player great coming through in the clutch that's what makes a great gm great is same shit you have to be able to pull through when your fan base expects you to so I don't know. I'm still super on the fence about like the direction of this rebuild and everything in general because we haven't actually been given really anything at a, like a reality level to really get us hyped for the future. I mean, we have with the minor league levels and all that, but once we see these guys get to the major league level, we're not winning games still. You know, Giolito is about to be in his fucking third year in a White Sox uniform. That was one of the guys that was supposed to be part of the rebuild. You know, we got all these guys that are getting old. Rodon's about to be he's – getting, he's getting close to the back end of his contract, and that's a guy that was supposed to be a first-round pick that's supposed to help us win games. You know, Tim Anderson, all these guys. So these are all Rick Hahn's guys. He's going to have to start fucking producing wins over anything. And I know it's not all his fault, but – the Sox are going to have to start winning or people are going to start pointing the blame towards Rick Hahn. It's not going to be a good look after all these promises of, you know, all this shit. And then you, you go and you make these, these empty ass statements of just like, yeah, well, it's really hard to make a franchise shifting move like this. So I, I really like pat the bears on the back for being able to pull something off like that. It's a bad look, dude. I don't know. That's, that's my take on that. I. Yeah, I, I kind of agree at the very last couple of sentences of Tony's rant there. That kind of sums it up where I sit on this. Um, I believe that it's also, you know, a cop out for future. It's a way to look back and point and say, oh, well, yeah, it's hard to make this such and such franchise changing move. Um, you know, it, it, sure, it wasn't the same. It wasn't a trade, but there was an opportunity for the White Sox to make a franchise changing move. And they did that. So just the irony of those words coming out of his mouth. Um, and then, you know, referring to how fired up he was. Well, guess what? Imagine how fired up the fans of the team that you are the GM of. Imagine how fired up we would have been for a franchise-changing move like that. That's all I have to say about it. I, I, I uh, one, just, one other one, don't. one other one that we don't have on the docket here was when he went into a statement about it taking five to seven years for this to pay, to for the a rebuild to pan out, and that we're only in year three, and people need to be patient. That's not what was sold to any of us when this started, and that one was really disheartening to hear, uh, because it already also, guys, it feels like the ball has already been kicked down the road. Yeah. yeah. So so I didn't actually hear that comment, Tony. So I'm actually kind of trying to still process it as I sit here right now. But, you know, you would imagine some progress in this year. I can understand the two down years that we have just had. I would start, I would expect to start to see some progress this year. Granted, there have some, been some injuries that have kicked that ball down the road, like you had mentioned, Tony. So you can't put that on him there. But what, what is that window? Five to seven? Yeah, he um, said, he said, uh, and I know you didn't have this in the rundown because hey, you know, they, they didn't tweet this out, but he did say, he said, um, you know, we expected the rebuild to go faster given the assets that we had traded away. But people need to realize that typically, it, and typically here being one of those Rickon buzzwords, typically it takes five to seven years for 
a rebuild to really run its course and for us to get into a window of contention. And to me, that hey. means we're we're looking at two, two to four more years of really bad baseball before we see anything. And and when I hear that, I go, wait a second, isn't Moncada almost going to be gone yeah, at that I was point just in time? See that. He was the, he was the, the star prize of the Chris Sale trade. So why why is it going to take that long? And Moncada hasn't been extended. Like it, it, we're already at this point now where. You're kicking the ball so far down the road that your first wave of prospects is going to be nearing their the end of their entry level contracts. They're going to be competing against you. Yeah, to exactly. Get to the playoffs. I'm glad you brought that up. I was just going to say that Mancata's due in like four or five years. Like what the like that that comment is asked nine to me. And you know what would have been an accelerator for it? Oh, signing top-tier talent like Manny Machado. And guess what? It's not happening this next offseason with Anthony Rendon. They're either going to lowball him or Washington's going to lock him up to an extension this year. You get you so. bring up Anthony Rendon. Why are you moving Moncada over to third to then go sign Rendon? They've already provided the cop-out for why they're not going to go after him and say, we already have a third baseman. So you went and you took your talent at second base, moved it over to third, and excluded yourself out of Josh Donaldson, Rendon, any other of these signings at third base, and you already have the perfect cop-out when you don't land any of these free agents and saying that we believe that Yon Moncada is our future third baseman, and by the time this team is ready to compete, he's already in free agency. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, the only reason I'm like so quiet right now is because I like didn't listen to any of this interview, so I'm just trying to take like the context of like the tweets, obviously. But yeah, if if the rebuild's gonna take four to six years, then I apologize from the bottom of my heart to everybody listening to this podcast because we're just gonna fuck around more and more <laughs> and and just joke about it's how funny yeah. and just shitty this team is. So it's kick the ball down the road. Yeah, that's it, that's exactly what guys. It's exactly what it is. Um, that's what it sounds like, at least from them. And then, uh. You know, when are these front office executives just going to plead the fifth? Just stop talking. You know what? We wouldn't be sitting here commiserating over this if they just wouldn't give those interviews. Just don't say stuff like that. That's where I just, like, kind of am baffled at. You know, the Kenny Williams thing, sure, that might have been an impulsive reaction, talking on the day of the Machado signing when San Diego landed him. But after that, you can kind of keep a low profile if you want. You don't have to agree to those interviews, but no, you, you know don't. what? But every time, it just seems like there's nothing that they can do right now to really rectify what they did this off season. And anytime you speak now in the public, you're going to get analyzed the way that we're analyzing what Rick Hahn said today. Because you know, had you converted on Manny Machado and you come on six seventy the score today, and you give an interview and you talk about all this stuff, we're in a much lighter mood. But when you sit there and backhandedly say, like, oh, it's more than just money throwing at a player. You did everything except for throw money at the player. You signed his best friend and brother-in-law, and you couldn't land him. Why? Because of the money. And then you sit there and go, well, it's more than just throwing money at the player. Is every other free agent that we're going to go after need to be accommodated that way? Probably not. But he's he's patting himself on the back for 
making sure that he he tried to go the extra mile and everything that that mattered except for the money. And I think that's the part that bothered me the most. Um, I'm really sick of talking about this. I'm not going to lie because the more that we dissect this, um, the angrier I get. I don't know about you, Johnny, but it's it's driving me to a point where I'm getting angry and I want to be happy because I'm going to get to actually go watch White Sox baseball later this week in person. I know John just stepped out. I think he's got to go take another bathroom break, but I think it's just about time that we get to questions. One last thing real quick. We'll read off this last one. Rick Hahn also expects that this team is going to get more wins this summer. Didn't he just basically spend the entire beginning portion of the interview saying why we weren't going to get more wins and that we need to be more patient how many times can this guy contradict himself yeah seriously so the the quote there was we expect more wins this summer he also adds that the key will be how the team gets those wins whether it's largely with progress of youngsters or because they're being carried by veterans um are yonder alonzo and jose brayu carrying these wins um eh, <laughs> I, I don't know there i would expect more progress of youngsters i was kind of um this is kind of going off topic of the interview but i was kind of shocked at the low number of results on the nbc sports chicago pregame postgame poll whatever it was over the weekend uh the opening series at kansas city when they said what are you know what's the most important development piece this year and the starting rotation was in like the one like to five percent every time I checked it, whereas like it was Eloy and Mancata. And don't get me wrong, both those guys are important, and you need to see a good year for Mancata. But I mean, if you get you know Lopez and Giolito actually like solidified, like say those guys are the um, guys that are getting you those more wins, helping you to that route, I would say that's more important. Just if I if I was ranking him, so I voted for that. I voted for young starting pitching. I don't know about you if you saw any of that, Tony. No, I didn't see any of it. But at the same point in time, you read those options off, and I think young starting pitching is is definitely something that I want to see. Um, and and, and Giolito and Lopez are two of those guys right there. Obviously, if Michael Kopech was part of this rotation, um, you'd love to see that even more. But um, we all know what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, a good year from Giolito, I think, is definitely something that uh, would really help going forward, at least instill some confidence in yeah. this, in, the, in, the, in the rotation because that's been the biggest question mark. We have a shutdown end of, end of the bullpen right now. Whether Rick Renteria chooses to use it or not is another question. We, we touched on that earlier. Um you know, you see guys like Moncada and, and Eloy in the lineup now. So, yeah, I, I think the rotation really needs to you know, check those boxes, as Rick Hahn would say, in order for yeah. for something that would instill confidence in, in the rebuild going forward. And let's just hope Giolito continues off of what he started in Game 1 and, and really puts together a solid campaign this year. I, I, I would have I would have clicked the same thing as you. Yeah, no, uh, the only reason I brought that up is because, don't get me wrong, I think I would probably put them about evenly with Mancata and those rotation guys because, you know, Mancata being a top prospect, the main return in that sale deal, you need to see a good year from him, um, especially after the record-setting strikeout season that he put up last year. But I, I just, you know, I, you can't go and strike out on that Eaton trade, basically. 
So yeah, no, that, that's where that's that's, that's why that's I th- where I just that's, that's where I just sat on that, and I just wanted to bring it up to you. Yeah, that's why I think that Giolito's performance, I think, really, really hinges on that. But let's get into questions. John's back, um, so let's get into the Twitter questions before we uh, we close this one out. All right, from our guy White Sox Sal, he says, "Do you guys think any of our catchers will catch anyone stealing this season?" <laughs> I do. Not James McCann. It's yeah, I do. It's not going to be James McCann. It's not going to be uh, Wellington Castillo. It's going to be Zach Collins, and that'll come whenever Zach Collins gets here. And then uh, I'd say Sebi Zavala can can throw out a runner. Uh, I don't think anybody on the current roster can, but both of those guys can. Yeah, I'm with Tone on that. Uh, James McCann is 100% not going to have a hot conversion rate on uh, runners attempting to steal this year. So, yeah, <laughs> not anytime soon. So, yeah, let's move it to question uh, two. Or, Johnny, you want to say anything? For, for me, technically, yes. They will throw out a couple of guys, but no, it's not going to be a good conversion rate. Both Beef and uh, McCann. Yeah. David Polina, um, he says. If you ran the team, does Kovey land any role? Long relief, spot starter, anything? Really quick answer here, no. I had jokingly, um, when this was the first question that we actually had submitted, um, and I had jokingly said, I want to spend the whole episode just talking about this question right here because we I, I easily could because Dylan Kovey fucking sucks, and I, I'm just tired. I would honestly rather see Carson Fulmer in Dylan Covey's role and to see what you can do out of the bullpen. Hot yeah, take, yes. Hot take. I like, I like that. Flaming hot, hot but it's seriously, like though, that. we know what we're getting from Covey, and we've been getting it for a year plus now. So, yeah. No, he would not have any role but to be the BP pitcher to Eloy Jimenez when he's in a slump so he can get out of the slump and get his confidence back. That would be his only role. Hey, uh, guys, let's run a poll tomorrow. Uh, 24-hour poll. Who would you rather see in the bullpen, Dylan Carson Covey or Carson Fulmer? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I bet you Fulmer wins. I am interested to see the results. On to the next question. It's Mike at Sox Mike 242 He says, what are your expectations for Luis Robert this season? Does he get promoted? If so, how high? He is starting at single-A Winston-Salem. I see Robert ending up in double-A. I do not see him making it to AAA this season for one reason and one reason only. We know that he's going to jam a finger sliding headfirst into a base, and that will sideline him for at least some sort of time, uh, whether it be two weeks to a month. Um, My expectations for him kind of just go along with what he is profiled to do, you know, play an athletic game of baseball. And I think he can tear the cover off the ball. He could steal bases. He could play defense. He could do everything. But I don't think the Sox are going to rush this guy. If they were going to rush him, he'd probably be starting the season in Double A, targeting Triple A at the end of the year. Um, I see the first half him staying in A, A ball, and then uh, second half of the season up in Double A, potentially maybe getting a week or two at the end of the year in Triple A if there's a spot open for him. But we've done this little thing where we log jam AAA with a bunch of, um, you know, borderline major league 4A players. So I don't know if there's going to be a spot for him this year. I think next year is when he ends up in AAA and then potentially ends up with a September call-up or mid-year call-up to the show. 
but that's kind of my expectations for him. I'd really like to see him stay healthy for a full year. Um, other than that, just keep doing what he's doing. But uh, staying healthy is the only thing I ask of him. Yeah, Lou Bob is the you know he's the fifty million dollar man. He's the he hasn't even played a game in a White Sox uniform yet. Has probably had the most injuries in the organization over the last calendar year. So I'm a hundred percent with you, Tone. The Sox are pretty on the money with promoting their top prospects based off of league average age, and I'm pretty sure Luis Robert is still only 20. I might be wrong on that, but I don't see him getting promoted up until like the AAA level until he's at least like 21-ish. So he'd have to be something special and healthy all the time for him to get to AAA this year. Tony nailed it right there. The call-up line, I would say, probably, like, stay in Winston-Salem until right around the high A all-star break and then, like, post-all-star break, move on to double-A and then maybe finish the year in triple-A if he fucking plays with bubble wrap around his body. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm with uh, your guys, Jakes, for the most part there. By the way, John, he is actually 21 now. But, okay. um that's uh you know he's first time stateside last year so um i'm going to go with he's finish probably at 16 high. guys <laughs> he's probably fucking <laughs> try 34 Jesus. i am no. 24 uh, <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to go with uh tony's as finish at double a um that would be my expectation for robert this year and stay healthy would probably be my biggest expectation so on to the next one uh disappointed but not surprised at not surprised socks says how slow is too slow <laughs> to move the prospects through the system i think we have to first talk about how perfect that twitter name is yeah um i'm gonna <laughs> disappointed g- but not surprised <laughs> i'm gonna go yeah. with the fact that a lot of people are calling for nick madrigal to make it to the show this year no i don't Shit, think that- give me nick madrigal at second base over yomer no give me dude. give me escobar at second base um I don't want to see Nick Madrigal in the show this year. I don't want Gordon Beckham 2.0. We've That's we've talked exactly about what I was gonna say, we've, Tony. we've exactly. talked we've we've talked ad nauseum about um, the rushing guys through. I haven't seen enough of Nick Madrigal to be confident in what he provides to this team. Um, I still think that there's the you know the the worst case scenario is that Nick Nick Madrigal is Yolmer Sanchez 2.0. I don't think they profile together, but as far as it goes. I don't want to see him become a utility player because he was rushed up and is overmatched by major league talent. Let that guy develop a little bit. I want to stay conservative with him, but at the same point in time, I feel like guys like Sebi Zavala, you know, Zach Collins, some of these other guys have been have been stalled a little bit in their development, uh, especially last year with the way that they've handled them. Uh, we wanted to see Eloy. Uh, I think that. It, it's a case by case basis and the Sox need to find that you know that that sweet spot for each of these guys i don't think that it it it's a blanket statement here they need to be you know diligent about moving guys up and challenging them you know at each level of play i don't think there's any too slow but i think there is a too fast you know we talk a little bit about how we're frustrated about the rebuild taking you know, five to seven years versus one to three. But player development is really something that the Sox have struggled with, and that's why we're in the situation that we're in. So, you know, at some point, I'm 
I'm more inclined to say make these guys earn their spot on the major league roster than I am to say let's rush a guy up just because we want to see him and he was drafted in the first round. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, sorry, I was like trying to do a little research on the Gordon Beckham thing because I honestly I I was way younger when that happened. I was like 13, so I thought that he started the year with the Sox, but I was way off on that. He got called up at the beginning of June, so for the Sox to like match um, like Madrigal's plan with Beckham, he would literally have to get called up in like a month, which isn't going to happen. Um, I could see him being a September call-up this year, though, which I know a lot of people would probably get pissed at based off of what happened with Eloy last year. So I think that a lot of people would think that if he came up like pre-All-Star break this year, that would be too soon, and I'm in the same boat. I do think that's too soon. I really think that someone has to prove themselves at each level. So like Nick Madrigal hasn't even played in AAA yet. We need to see him prove himself. He hasn't even played in double A. Yeah, he hasn't even played in double A yet. So, like, we need to see him prove himself at these higher A-ball levels before we even make assumptions that he can jump to the MLB level. I think that question kind of breaks down into two parts, though. So, like, if you're younger, like a younger international prospect, like like a—or maybe even just a younger prospect, like a Bryce Bush, like just out of high school, like someone like that— I don't think it's out of this realm to move them up to like a higher minor league level to see what they can do in terms of moving them through the system that way, like to go from Arizona league to double A to triple A. I've seen guys make the jump from like, like, like make like three level jumps in a year. It's just a matter of getting to the major league level. And I don't think that anybody is really in the Sox system is qualified enough to make like a sped up jump to the major league level. Not with the way that the scouting departments ran by the White Sox. My only comment is that, sure, I'm anxious. I want to see Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala come up as soon as possible because I'm absolutely sick of seeing miserable catching on the soft side. But at the same time, I'm also understanding of the way that these players develop and how they want them to be a complete player, both offensive and defensive before they get here. So to answer your question, not surprise socks, how slow is too slow. Unfortunately, as Tony said, as much as we want it to be, you know, right now, um, right in our face, uh, I don't know if there is, you know, it's got to kind of go by a case by case basis. So, I think they're doing a better job of it now than they have in the past. See Gordon Beckham for someone who went too fast. On to the next one. Sydney Brown, Sid Kid 80 asks, after Sunday start at Kansas City, do you think that Lucas Giolito will be more consistent this season? No, I don't I, I don't think Lucas Giolito is going to be as consistent this season. Somebody actually asked White Sox Dave, is Lucas Giolito fixed? And um, Dave responded back with, Absolutely, the arm slots there. My question goes back to White Sox Dave on this one. You spent all last year talking about how Lucas Giolito lacked the mental fortitude in order to play at the major league level. What's going to happen to Lucas Giolito the first time he runs into a major jam and gives up four or five runs at an inning? I want to see if Lucas Giolito can get over that. It's one thing to see a guy carry a no-hitter pretty much all through the game. And then, you know, give up a few runs and get taken out. I want to see what happens when Lucas Giolito ends up giving up two, three runs in the first inning. Can he correct himself? I'm not completely sold on this. Yes, the mechanics look completely different, but 
we haven't seen enough of this yet. We're going to need four or five games into Lucas Giolito this year in order to, to, you know, figure out what his, you know, trajectory is into the season. So I'm not completely sold. Will he be more consistent than last year? Probably. But is he going to be the shutdown pitcher? I'm not sold that he's going to be a stuff every single game. Um, This was a start against the Kansas City Royals. Uh, let's put him up against the Boston Red Sox and see what happens. I'm not I'm not sold yet. Yeah, I'm just going to give you a crisp no. I'm going to have to see a couple of starts out of Giolito for him to prove that he – I mean, because the question is basically asking if he can be consistent. So I think that's actually not really a question you can answer based off one start. You would have to see some – like at least a glimpse of consistency prior to being able to actually give like a legitimate answer for that. But if I had to have an educated guess based off prior history, it's not going to happen. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. Got to see more. That's about it. That's all I've got there on the next one. Patrick Comiskey. Uh, yeah, is this team going to lead Tony to drink himself in the Budweiser <laughs> USA Hall of Fame? I didn't see that until just now. I'm gonna let you guys take this one. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go last on this. I'll go. Uh, I'm gonna pick Suarez is gonna go first, and Natty's gonna go second. I'll go third. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here and act like I know what the Budweiser USA Hall of Fame is. I'm probably not a drinker if I don't know what that is, but um, I'm guessing it's just like all the greatest beer drinkers of all time or something. I don't, I'm guessing like a guy like Wade Boggs or like you know like that would be in it. So. Yeah, let me get Tone in there with his little socks uh, <laughs> memorabilia Budweiser. Give me the little plaque of just Tone just holding the Budweiser. There we go. He's got it on the screen. But, yeah, um, in terms of this team leading Tony into drinking himself into one of those, as he double fists his Budweisers over here, he's definitely on a fast track to the uh, Budweiser USA Hall of Fame. I'd say, like, early June. Nani? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I'm with this uh, 67.95 prediction. I'm going to write it out, and, and that alone will make you drink yourself into the Budweiser Hall of Fame. So the only thing I have to say to this, Pat, I'm talking directly to you. If you didn't think I was headed to the Budweiser Hall of Fame, regardless of whether or not the socks are good, bad, you've got yourself greatly mistaken. I will go down into the Budweiser USA Hall of Fame no matter what. Um, so that's all I've got to say on that one. Uh, let's go to, uh, to Big Zim's question here. Andrew Zimmer, our blogger, asked, can you play an MLB-level defense? The White Sox could use a little help. Is responding to your tweet, John. So Yeah, definitely could not play outfield in the MLB. I played outfield in 12-inch softball, and that shit was the death of me. <laughs> like, at the adult level. That shit requires way too much running. I'm fat and out of shape. So best bet would be first base. I'm six feet tall. Probably wouldn't get many balls that people would want me to get. Don't have hops and not very rangy. So no, I probably could not play MLB level defense. I probably couldn't even play like Kane County Cougar level defense. So <laughs> moving on to you guys. Uh, I, I would give myself Kane County Cougar level defense. Um, Maybe because I think I'm still 21 and I'm 28. But, uh, you know, the Budweiser's do catch up with you. Uh, that's a real thing. Um, but um, defense was always my my forte. More of a defender than a than an offensive uh, uh, bat. But um, probably not MLB level. I'm not helping the Sox anytime soon. Johnny? Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Just that's my answer. No, no I couldn't. No. So, DJ? 
DJR, their blogger, last question. If you get 500 MLB plate appearances, what would your batting average and on-base percentage be? I'm just going to respond with my answer right now so we can wrap this up quick and say Cody Ashy. <laughs> Here, here's my thing. Why do our bloggers think that we're like MLB-level players? We're I like don't really... hardly even like beer league softball level yeah, players. Right? <laughs> so um, here's my answer to DJ. If I got 500 MLB plate appearances, I might fall off like four pitches at this point in time. Um, Literally just, just chucking the sword at that point. Yeah. I mean, Carson Fulmer would have his day with me. I, you know, <laughs> just, it, it's it's not going to be good. Um, I might try to bunt maybe like five or six times over those 500 plate appearances, and those are going to be my foul balls. Um, no, no, uh, 500 MLB plate appearances, not happening. Second off, the only manager who would probably give me 500 MLB plate appearances would be Ricky Renteria. And I would be lucky to be on the White Sox right now. Cause I'd actually get those 500 plate appearances. Everybody else would send me fuck right back down to AAA, not getting 500 MLB plate appearances to begin with. So can't even answer that question. Yeah. If I have 500 major league baseball plate appearances, my, Batting average would be a fat zero, and my OBP would be like a point two three because I'd probably lean in like Howie and bench warmers on like maybe three or four pitches to for the team. So yeah, I would I, I would make Adam Engel look like Mike Trout. It wouldn't be hot. There you go. Yeah. So there, there's your answer, DJ. Just trash all around. Yeah. So <laughs> let's let's get an eye on the opponent. We got a week ahead. Um, White Sox finally return home, but today they do finish their series on the road at Cleveland. Um, Rodon faces off against Kluber, so that's a top-of-the-line pitching matchup Thursday through Sunday. Um, it's a three-game series, so with that off day Friday, will probably end up being played Friday with the way the weather is looking on Thursday. But that's all against Seattle. Um, only confirmed pitching matchup is Kachuki versus Lopez on Thursday and then Mike Leake is slated to start for the Mariners on Saturday, but the White Sox pitchers are to be determined. And then the Rays come into town for a three-game series, all 110 home games uh, Monday through Wednesday. So all pitchers to be determined. Only notes that we've really got on this, the Mariners are off to a scorching hot start. They're 6-1 and one right now. They are playing tonight. They're uh, hosting the Angels. They currently lead the AL West. They swept the A's in Japan to open the year, took 3-4 from Boston, took the first game against the Angels in that series. They rank first in baseball with runs scored at 54, and they rank second in runs per game at 7.71. On to the Rays, they are off to a hot start as well. They lead the AL East. Uh, they're 5-1. and one. They just beat the Rockies tonight. They host them again tomorrow at 12-10. They got a three-game set at San Francisco over the weekend um, before they come into town. Uh, They took three of four from Houston. They lost their opening day at home, but then they swept that last three against, you know, a quality team in Houston. Uh, Took their first two versus the Rockies tonight. Um, And they rank fourth in the LB with a two-even team ERA. So anything that we are looking forward to for this uh, home set coming up? Uh, just getting to see some White Sox baseball and hopefully yeah. good White Sox baseball. That's really all I've got. Yeah, and the Shy Sox Weekly Tailgate, cracking some beers with the guys and um, getting uh, Yusei Kaikuchi. I didn't even know that he was going to be pitching this series. I totally just put that together. So we get to see 
Omar Narvaez's homecoming and you say Kaikuchi, uh, we get to see one of his first major league starts. I watched his start against Oakland and he looked decent. So that was one of the guys that jokingly Cherizi from 108 had brought up earlier in the offseason saying like the Sox should go after this guy, which after I watched him pitch against the Athletics, I wouldn't mind him being in our rotation. So yeah, that should be a fun matchup, Reynaldo Lopez against him. Other than that, I feel like we always play the Rays at home in April when we could easily just go to Tampa Bay and play in a dome. That's really all I got on that. I would be looking forward to seeing Mike Leake on Saturday, but he doesn't have that flow anymore. So you know, and oh, he cut his hair. Yeah, I'm just not even going to go to the ballpark now. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm absolutely pumped. I will be there all weekend long. Um, Thursday, if it happens to be Friday, I'll probably be there too. But Saturday, Sunday, I'll be there as well. And then Tuesday of that Tampa Bay series, I'll be there as well. So, yeah, I'm absolutely looking forward to baseball back on the south side. I don't care how cold it is. I will be prepared. I will be ready um, with beers and hand warmers. So, yeah, I'll see you there. On, I'll see you there yeah. on Tuesday too, Johnny. Absolutely. So Tony and I are both going to be out of the ballpark with um, our plans that have games there. So if you're ever out of the ballpark and looking for someone to come and sit with, drink some beers with, whatever, um, just send us a tweet, send us a DM, whatever. Uh, we'll respond. We're more than happy to meet up and talk baseball with anyone. Like we had mentioned on Thursday, if that happens, we will be out there, Tony and I. We will be tailgating in lot B. So feel free to tweet at us, whatever, find our location and come and tailgate with us. Like I said, we'll have a tent over our heads there in the lot. Um, We can hang out and drink some beers and talk some White Sox baseball beforehand. And then Saturday, Saturday is the actual day that we are going to be doing the Shy Sox Weekly Tailgate. Since we moved that, that's when the majority of the crew can be there. It'll be better weather. It'll just be better for everyone. Uh, It's a weekend day. So everyone come out Saturday, look for the Shy Sacks Weekly Flag in Lot B. Um, we will be out there. And other than that, baseball's back, baby. That's all I got. How are we going to close this out, boys? Let's go Sox. Yeah, go Sox, baby. We'll see you guys this weekend. Let's go White Sox.